The Social Screenwriters Podcast. The Social Screenwriters Podcast. The Social Screenwriters Podcast. Where Andy talks to people he met on the internet. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to episode 10 of the Social Screenwriters Podcast. I am your host, Andy Compton. We made it to number 10. We did it. Yay! I can't believe it. Um, This really does feel like a milestone for me, and I'm going to celebrate the next one. I guess 25 is the next cool number, and then, of course, 50. Uh, But yeah, I'm going to keep this train going. So today on the show, we have a very special guest. His name is Sam Thompson, at Sam Writes Movies on Twitter. Many of you probably know him. He has a bunch of followers. Uh, Sam is one of our many beloved former journalism majors turned screenwriter, which is an ongoing bit that seems to be happening on the show, and I'm going to point it out every time that it happens, because I'm boring. But, um, yeah, he, he went to WVU, West Virginia University, and... Um, you're going to hear more about that in the episode, but Sam is also a person who's on the Coverfly Red list. He's in the 2022 Network ISA Top 25 to Watch, uh, which is really cool. He's represented at AK Management. Um, a, lot, a lot of cool things going on. He's made a bunch of short films, and he's written some features. And in fact, he was nice enough to come on the show on like not even 24 hours notice because... Uh, we had a guest lined up and that fell through and, um, but they're going to come on later. But, uh, I reached out to Sam and he was like, yeah, let's do it. So really appreciate that from him. Um, I do just want to let you guys know before we get into it, that if you like what you're hearing on the show and you would like to donate, uh, you can do that if you want to. Any amount is welcome. You can do it at the Linktree link in our Twitter or Instagram at SocialWriterPod. Um, follow us on Instagram. No one fucking follows us on Instagram. <laughs> like, no one interacts with those posts, and I'm just like, should I give up? I mean, of course, this thing was born from Twitter, so I get that it has a better presence on twitter but um yeah man if you're on instagram come come hit up the uh the ad social writer pod page um but yeah if you can afford to donate uh please do and i really really appreciate that um also if you like what you hear say something on twitter uh post on instagram stories and tag us anywhere you post though tag us at social writer pod Or you can tag me at Andy Compton underscore. Say something you learned. Say something you liked. Something you thought was funny. Something that I suck at. Uh, Any feedback is welcome. I really appreciate you guys listening. And guys, want to tell you about our sponsor today. This is a cool one. This is my friend Gabriel Tice, who wanted to run this ad because today the Social Screenwriters Podcast is sponsored by The Curse of Professor Zardonicus, the latest feature film by screenwriter and director Gabriel Tice and starring Alec White. Catch the found footage thriller that Dread Central calls a cult classic in waiting. It comes out on April 29th on Vudu, Apple TV, Amazon, and Google Play. Pre-orders are available through Apple TV starting April 15th. Keep up to date with the official social media pages at Professor Zardonicus, Z-A-R-D-O-N-I-C-U-S, and follow the hashtag ZardonicusLives. And remember, the truth is out there. Ooh. 
no, it's really, really dope that um, this is like a total guerrilla filmmaking. Gabe went out and just made a movie, and it's really, really cool. And without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the show. Sam writes movies at Sam writes movies. Sam Thompson, what's going on, man? Oh, pretty much everything at the same time, all at once. And I don't uh-huh. even have time to see the movie that's titled similarly to that. Yeah. I was going to say, was that planned? <laughs> this is that a no, planned it, bit? It was not, but we can pretend like it was because it makes me sound a lot smarter. Yeah, I cannot wait to see that, by the way. I'm probably going this weekend. Yeah, that makes yeah. two of us. I would go if I didn't have the entire world planned in front of me for this yeah. week. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Um, so Sam is was nice enough on literally less than 24 hours notice to come and do this episode while working day job, doing other things, and he's shooting a short film this weekend. So super appreciate you coming in late notice. Uh, that's really awesome. And I've been wanting to have you on for a minute, so it kind of worked out that uh, you were like the first person because I had someone else lined up, a friend that we all know, uh, but they had gotten sick and couldn't do that they were like you know i feel like i could do it but i want to be okay when i do it and i was like yeah let's wait um but yeah anyway super appreciate it and uh let's go ahead and just hop in man so sam how did you get into screenwriting oh geez well i was a college sophomore and i was a journalism major didn't really another journalism major anyone who (laughs) listens to the podcast you know I'm sorry, continue. You're totally good. It's definitely a recurring theme. A lot of people in the industry I talk to were journalism majors at some point. So It's amazing. I don't know what it is. Hopefully that bodes well for me and everybody else that's in a similar boat. I think it does. I think it means that you're a writer and you have strong opinions, and that bodes well for a screenwriter, in my opinion. You know, you have a story to tell. Me for years off of that description. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. But, but anyway, I was a college sophomore, journalism major, and I liked some of the classes. I mean, they I wanted to be something in entertainment. I don't know why. I, I honestly can't put my finger on why that is. But mm-hmm. I've always had an active imagination. Maybe that's why. But I didn't have an outlet for it. And as someone who deals with bipolar 2, I was going through a really, really low depressive period. And... I didn't, I wasn't liking my classes. I wasn't good at my classes. I was a C average student all the way through middle school, high school, college. I didn't really have a source of motivation. I didn't really have a lot of passion that I have now. I didn't have the enthusiasm that I have now. And Mm -hmm. I was just kind of going through every day, waking up, going to class, not wanting to be there, daydreaming about random shit, (laughs) going home, doing Mm -hmm. the same thing the next day. And that was pretty much it. And it led to me to be in the lowest point I think I ever was in my life. And then coming off of what was a failed suicide attempt, I looked into the void and didn't like what I was seeing because there was nothing there. And when you brush up against something like that, you kind of take on a different perspective that you never really realized that you could. And what I mean by that is suddenly the void became a lot clearer to me. But the thing is, there was still nothing in front of me. And I didn't really know what to do with that. And then a few days after that, I saw a poster for the school's film club. Mm -hmm. And being the person that I was at that time in my life, I procrastinated going to a meeting for about three months. (laughs) And when I finally did, um, they were looking for pitches. They were looking to make something. And so I just offhand tossed something out there. And they said, oh, this sounds cool. Go go write the script for it. So I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, shit. 
yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I pretended like I knew what that was. And I, knew I was going to say, that. so were you like, uh, yeah, I'll go do that. How the hell do you write a script? I had exa- exa- so my first thing I went back and I hit the old Google and I said, how do you write a screenplay? <laughs> That's amazing, man. And you like was, hit the ground like, running. And that was, that was pretty much it. I mean, they just went out, they made it and I got to act in it. I got to help produce it. I got to see how the sausage is made and I fell in love with it, just head over heels in love with it. And it gave me intention in my days. I, yeah. I would wake up and I would read the script and try to memorize the lines that I wrote. And I would wake up and I would write the lines that I would need to memorize later on. And it gave me something to do. And it, it's not only that it just gave me something to do for the first time in my life, it felt like it was what I was supposed to be doing with my time. It felt natural. I saw out time to do it i yeah. sought out time to study me i see average student who just the idea of studying made me nauseous <laughs> i yeah. went out i i sought out screenwriting books and directing books and filmmaking books and behind the scenes videos and film riot and other youtube channels and mm-hmm. i just dug into all of these resources and i loved every single second of it and i sat back and i asked myself i've never felt like this before is this something i should pursue and I talked to my mom and she, being the very supportive person that she was, said, mm. I've never seen you like this. If this is what you want to do with your life, then go for it. And I'll be your emotional support if you need it. And sure. from that point on, like you said, I hit the ground running and just it's been a full out sprint ever since then. And it's been about five and a half, six years or, or something around there. And mm-hmm. 13 short films later and a few feature scripts later, here I am alive and doing the thing or at least trying to do the thing. Yeah. That's, that is a really cool backstory. Uh, so many things I want to talk about in there. Um, <laughs> Let's hit them first, all. First being uh, I, I'm a big believer, you know, that uh, everyone, everyone has like, you, like there could be a kid in a class who everyone thinks like this kid definitely has like some kind of learning disability. They're not like the other kids, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, they just need different sparks to, you know, and they can be fully uh, more than capable students, you know, that will thrive given the right environment and motivations and things like that. And so that's just fascinating to me to hear that. Cause I also like, wasn't, wasn't that great of a student, you know, but like the thing is like my, my teachers and stuff, they just knew I didn't care. They would like tell my mom, like, we know that he's smart because he's such a asshole smart ass like we know that he's smart uh he's not just he's not dumb it's just that he won't try and um so that was like a big part of it for me and that kind of and like I also really related to uh what you said with going through a big depressive episode I've been there too in my life in my very early 20s and um never would I have thought that I would be where I am today like generally happy you know what i mean like things are things are okay like you kind of learn to live with that stuff too i don't know how you feel about that i i agree with that wholeheartedly i mean a, a big part of healing and a big part of my healing journey has been and this is actually the the theme that i'm working on in a script right now and it's mm-hmm. been a way to exercise those demons and it's about how there's no silver bullet there's no solution you can't take pills and your depression goes away you can't go to therapy and your depression goes away you learn to live alongside it you learn mm-hmm. what it looks like you learn like the way that I like to describe it is that it's this monster that hides in the shadows and it follows you around your entire life. And suddenly when you're able to find the light switch and turn the light on, you realize it's just a coat hanger or a coat rack or something else. It can still, you can still stub your toe on it. It'll still hurt like a bitch, 
but yeah. it's not a poster. It's something that it's always been there. It's always going to be there. You could try to move it, but it's still there. And yeah. it, it's, it's something that for me, when I realized that I need to stop trying to fix myself and instead learn how to live with it and learn live, live alongside it, it changed everything for me. Yeah, I can't agree more. And like, you know, I started to think about things I never thought about because when you're a kid, you're kind of impenetrable. Um, Growing into my adulthood, I had to realize like, oh, I'm going to have to like start trying to eat better because I'm like, I think that part of this feeling horrible about myself every day is like malnutrition. And then some of it is like a lack of exercise and like, you know, like meditation, like doing some kind of work on yourself, things like that. Uh, they all they all contribute and, and a complete lack of any of that um, work on yourself, you know, healthy diet, things like that. I'm not perfect either. Like I eat fast food still. I'll fuck around. And you know what I mean? Like good days. Take out a whole box of fruit roll ups in the span of about 15 minutes if, if one's presented to me. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, I, I'm not like, I'm definitely not like just eating great every day and meditating every day and working out every day. Like, I try to do it as much as I can. But like, I've found that like, if I don't try at all, um, I will just go down that slide again. And it's, not, um, it's, a, it's a series of battles, and every day the clock resets. Every day sure. it's, it's a 24-hour battle. And yeah. if you lose, that's fine. You recoup, you fight the next day. And if you lose, that's fine. You recoup, you fight the next day. And as long as you're alive, as long as you're still here, you have a fighting chance. You have a puncher's chance for the next day. And it's really all you can ask for. Definitely. And, and I do want to put it out there, too, that, like, I do have a full understanding that, like, some people do need to be medicated. Uh, there are varying degrees on a gigantic scale of these types of feelings and conditions. And uh, but luckily for me, I've gotten to a place where I'm not on medication. I just try my best to live with this thing, understand it and, you know, try to work on myself. Yeah, uh, and it I, sounds like that's where you're at. I love that. And I respect that. And yeah. I'm someone who I've tried. Oh, my goodness. At least a dozen medications over the course of my life. And mm-hmm. Most of them, not most of them, none of them really worked for me. And I later found out that they were prescribed for something that I didn't have, which obviously does not help, but just worked. Exactly. And so I went about two or three years without medication, giving it a shot. And some days it works, other days it doesn't. But the problem for me, at least personally, was that when it didn't work, it really, really didn't work. And there were Mm. days those are just too low and it gets too scary to a point where it's like, okay, what are my options here? And there just aren't a whole lot of options out there. And medication is just the biggest, most presently in front of us type of option that we have. And for me, that was terrifying. And it still is terrifying. And I'm, I'm on a new one right now. And it's, you know, you're going through the trials and tribulations of all the side effects. And are they affecting me more than the actual positive outcome of medication? And yeah. even if oh, you have to stay on it for a certain amount of time to see, you know, how, how many benefits are yielded from that. And it's just a whole process that's very exhausting and it's tiring and, Going through without having a lot of external stressors is difficult enough as it is. And then you add in all the other things and then it becomes life, which is I yeah. guess what we're supposed to try to deal with. A hundred percent. Well, I am happy to see that, you know, you guys can't see it, but Sam is here. He's smiling. He seems to be in good spirits. I love it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a battle. And I feel like so many of us writers deal with yeah. these type of things because we're such deep feelers and such deep thinkers and um, really think a lot about the human condition and why we are the way that we are. And I think sometimes that can be a bad thing that you think just a little too much. Sometimes I see, I have friends who are not writers 
who, you know, this is not a shot at anyone, but like seem to live in something of like an ignorant bliss at times where I'm just like a lunatic on the inside, like under the surface at any given moment of any time, any day, I'm just like losing my mind with anxiety and like overthinking and all these things. But uh, again, learning to live with yourself and learn who you are and, you know, learning to love it. That's that's a huge part of the battle. Uh, well, I appreciate you sharing all that. I feel like that's going to resonate with a lot of people out there. Uh, uh, it's, yeah. it's something that I've learned. And just to throw it out there, I mean, I've learned too. And at least for me, the transparency really goes a long way and it helps because yeah. it, it creates the, these parallels that you didn't realize existed with people who you didn't realize were fighting similar battles. And even though it doesn't solve or fix anything, just knowing that you know, you're not unique in the sense that you're the only one going through and feeling what you're feeling but just knowing that there are other people out there who, if you're open about it, will understand and will empathize and will listen to you and maybe even give out little pointers that can help you along the way. It's, it's gone a really long way in making sure that I'm still here right now. Yeah, man. I love to hear it. And then you, you said you were a sophomore about five years ago. So are you 24? It's Oh God, five. I'm, I'm 27 right now. I graduated. Oh, okay, when, cool. I graduated when I was 23, 24, gotcha. I want to say. So five, yeah, I would say five or six years, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was going to say I'm 33 soon to be 34. And I didn't know if you would relate to this, but like when I was in school, no one, you just kept all of your mental health shit to yourself. No one talked about that. Like at least in my circle, at my school, in my neck of the woods. Um, and that's something I think is really awesome about the young generation now is that they seem to be very, very open about that stuff. And it's super healthy. And yeah. I just wish I grew up in a time because a lot of the battle I had in my early 20s when I was in kind of the lowest place that I've ever been was what are these feelings I've never even thought about my mental health before. Exactly. I was just like, if you, if you don't get to talk about them, if you don't get to think about them, if you can't bring them into some kind of public arena, they just yeah. live as these intangible things that you never get to reconcile with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So we could talk about that for 45 hours. Uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and move on to the next thing. So you are represented by AK management, correct? Yes, I am. Awesome. How long have you been repped there? Oh, it's been about a year almost. I'd say maybe a year and a couple months, give or take a month or two, but it's been fantastic. And to say that my writing has evolved and that I've evolved as a writer is a huge understatement. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, it sounds like you're doing a lot of things right now. So let's let's hop into you as a writer. Uh, Sam, how would you describe your brand? <laughs> how would I describe my brand? You know what? I actually love this question, believe mm -hmm. it or not. Okay, I, you're the first one in history. <laughs> yeah. I describe my brand as someone who loves to work within well-worn, um, I guess genres and subgenres. So I have like mm -hmm. zombies, war, like World War II specifically, um, mm -hmm. vampires, monster movies, hopefully one day something like aliens. Like I love taking things that have been done a million <laughs> half times and then finding little tiny niche corners of it, alluding to the big grandiose world that we're all used to. We know the rules of the world and all that kind of stuff. And then just kind of digging my own little hole in that and then finding a way to just ground that in some character that I can relate to. I love it. That's amazing. I love people who work in all of the genres. Um, this is maybe a fun thing that I'll share from my experience that just happened the other day, but it might just be helpful to people. So like when I was seeking management, 
I was very much like you are a dramedy guy. That's what you do. You don't venture outside of that. I did for a little bit and then realized like, I can't be throwing all this external shit in there trying to write horror because I love horror. I'm such a horror fan, but I was like, my strongest stuff is always my dramedy stuff. So I was like, use that, be the dramedy guy, use that to get represented. And like, while I think it's a good idea for some people when you're trying to get your first manager to have something of a brand that's close to a certain genre that you're a specialist in quote unquote. Um, the other day I was talking to uh, one of the managers at uh, Epicenter, the company that I'm managed by. And she was like, what's that? Congrats on that, by the way. I know that oh. that's relatively recent. I, I, want, I wanted to give you your flowers a little bit because congrats oh. on that, because it is impossibly difficult. <laughs> Yeah, no, thank you so much, dude. Uh, I really feel like I hit the jackpot. I really love everyone there. And it's been going great so far. It's a really awesome. You know what the best part of it is? Not entering contests anymore. <laughs> I'm not for the most part. Like I might enter like the nickel or something, but for at least the first like few months, like I've just been like not spending money on that. And it came at a good time because I'm super broke right now. <laughs> so that's like perfect. Just like the stars aligned. I haven't but, entered um, in over a year and it feels great. And even though I'm still broke because doing the short and, and everything that goes with that, it's yeah. still, at least I don't have to spend the 65, 70, however much it's on everything. It's such a hustle and it, it's so frustrating. Um, but yeah, I was going to share that. Like uh, I talked to someone up there and was like, yeah, you know, I do have like other stuff. Like I have a horror feature. That's like a creature feature. And then like, I have a, uh, a black mirror spec that I know, like I'm not trying to get made as a black mirror episode, but I'm just saying I have like a grounded sci-fi thing. And uh, they were like, yes, send all of that, you know, like at least because when we have like mandates and stuff, we can put you up for shit because we didn't know you didn't tell us that, you know, like we just <laughs> thought you were the dramedy person. And like, I was like, Oh, maybe I should have. Cause like, I also wasn't that like confident in that stuff, but like, I do feel like it's all right. But, um, Anyway, with that, to be to be like I've never subscribed to that. You have to be X person. Like you have to be the dramedy guy. You have to be the horror guy. I, I understand why, and and it makes a lot of sense. But I and maybe it's just me. But I've never I just I never really cared much for it. If I want to write something, I'm I'm gonna write it, and God damn it, no one's gonna stop me. Yeah, yeah. Well, you think about all the awesome writers out there. You know, like an Aaron who who I can't remember if I talked about this on the air with someone. I don't think I did. I think I was talking to my friend Gabe Braxton, if you know him from Twitter. But I, I think we what's that? Listen to his episode. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's been my buddy for a minute, but we were talking about uh we were talking about horror and writing horror in general. And I was like, I wonder what like an Aaron Sorkin horror film would look like. Like I just want to see, you know, these amazing writers in these specific genres right outside of that. Uh, I've always, I, I'm a, it's funny you said alien movies. Cause I'm a big fan of UFO movies, alien movies, anything. I would love to see like all the great auteurs right now, everyone make an alien movie at the same time. And I just want to watch them all back to back, like watch like, cause Jordan Peele, it looks like Nope is going to be oh, about aliens. And not wait for that movie. Holy I know. <laughs> I'm the same way, dude. Um, and then, uh, but like, you know, follow that up with like, Wes Anderson's alien movie and then like you know whatever um Jeremy Saulnier's 
uh, alien oh, movie. I would I'd just sign me up for all of that. Yeah, and then like Greta Gerwig's alien movie. Like, what the fuck is that? What kind of like quirky, you know, uh, dramedy type thing is that going to be? Uh, I'm just into it. I just want to see everyone's uh, alien movie. But okay, uh, so awesome. So you don't adhere to the genres. You don't believe in that shit. I kind of agree. I think that good writing is good writing. I think a really good writer isn't going to have an amazing comedy script and an absolutely infathomably bad horror script. It's like if if you can write characters and you understand like writing a full arc and, you know, human psychology and things like that, you can probably write. It's having an understanding of tropes and, you know, uh, specific genre tropes and things. Exactly. And I, and, and I say that, and I say it's funny because I, most of the things I write tend to be horror, but they're horror in the sense that they're, the backdrop is horror. Like with a zombie movie, it's, it's a zombie movie. So yeah, it's going to be horror, but it, at the heart of it, it's a drama. Yeah. And it's the drama that takes place in the zombie apocalypse. And that's how I try to approach all of my, my scripts is that the, the backdrop tends to be horror. And I just, I love horror. I'm obsessed with it. You point out any horror movie that I haven't seen, I'll I'll go see it tomorrow if I can. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that's typically my jam is is having a horror backdrop and then finding ways to incorporate something else, whether it's comedy, whether it's drama, whether it's action, whether it's historical fiction, all of that kind of stuff. If I can incorporate that in horror, god damn it, I'm gonna do it, or at least I'm gonna try. And if it fails, then oh well, at least I gave it a shot. Yeah, that's all my favorite kind of horror, like how Ari Aster said a lot of the time. In the promotion of Hereditary, this is a family drama. Yeah. You know, and and it's like, when you think about it, it is. And and the whole first act of it was just a drama. And I think that the whole reason why when it starts and it takes that very well-publicized hard pivot to horror, it hits you so goddamn hard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, I love that. I I love... One thing I love about like, you know, the quote unquote, like elevated horror era that we're in is uh, I know the term sucks, but like I do love and I love like I loved I don't know if you've seen Scream 5, but they take some shots at elevated horror. Loved it. Yeah, it's so funny for horror fans, but I do love that stuff because um, I really, really love horror with a story. Yeah. Give me horror with like a deep story. And I love slashers and I love just whatever, you know, zombie movies and stuff. But like, you know, I love the fucking Babadook and like yeah. Hereditary and The Witch and, you know, all these uh, really deep uh, horror movies. I just think that's a really, really cool thing we're getting to experience right now. And it's um, so cool to see the horror genre experience this because I feel like there's a place for every type of horror fan to love all horror, whether it's something like Hereditary or the Babadook or whether it's something like Scream or whether it's something like the Saw franchise. Like yeah. horror is horror. And whether or not the emphasis is on the gore and the practical effects or the emphasis is on the characters or the emphasis is on the backdrop or mm-hmm. on the story or a specific theme, it doesn't yeah. matter. Horror is horror. And yeah. if you approach it in a different way or if you approach it in a way that sparks a whole wave of other different horror movies, then hell yeah, the genre can use it because horror's just been chugging along at the box office for Mm -hmm. however, what, 30, 40, 50 years now? A long time, yeah. I think movies that, you know, of course, like, you know, action is always going to be amazing to see in the uh, theater. And I'm not even like a huge action movie person, but I get it. I get why why it's uh, such a cinema draw. But um. Like, I think movies that elicit like biological responses, like horror and comedy, I think that they're always going to kill at the box office if 
they look good. If yeah. you know, if the trailer sells it well, uh, then I just think those are movies that people want to go see in a community. I couldn't agree more. And I actually just recently saw X, which if anyone listening yeah, to X, please go see X. Yeah. <laughs> But there's a certain part with a certain type of, of animal and it's an aerial shot looking down. And when we saw it in a crowded theater, as soon as something entered frame, yep. a collective 150 people just went. <gasps> yeah. And that's an experience. I'm like, like, you cannot get that in almost any other genre. Like the reflexive laughing. Yes, that's something that is absolutely on par and comparable with this feeling. But for me, if you're a filmmaker, you're sitting in a, in a, the- a crowded theater and a collective audience of 100 plus people all gasp at the same time. Yeah. You did your job and then some. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. I can't wait until I see a movie of mine in a full theater and hear that just silence at a part that I <laughs> wanted to be laughter. And I'm going to be like, all right, you know, I've done like live improv shows and stuff. So I'm kind of ready. Like I've, I've said that. something that I thought was going to bring the fucking house down and no one cared. And um, I'm just like, all right, <laughs> keep I'm, it moving. I'm, I'm, I'd stand up before and I've had something that killed and I've immediately had something right afterwards that bombed. Yeah. And then I've sat in festivals with a comedy short that was supposed to be funny, but no one laughed for the entirety of the four and a half minutes. And Ooh, that's a long four and a half minutes. Exactly. And it feels like it's four and a half hours. But again, at the end of the day, you take something away from it and it's that, okay, if this audience didn't react to it, then as a filmmaker, how can I look at this and try and learn and progress? And you can either do that or you can stare into the endless void that is, okay, wow, let, let me let my mind spiral here. Why am I not funny? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's just part of it, dude. Like you, you can also do the same joke in front of, in seven or eight different rooms and you're going to get different levels of response and reaction. So exactly. comedy um, is so, so subjective. So mm-hmm. to anybody who really tries to cut their teeth in comedy. Definitely. Ask Chris Rock. Moving on. Uh, let's uh, let's say, okay. So since everyone's routine is unique, Sam, uh, can you describe to me your regular writing routine do you like to write at morning or night? Do you like to write indoor, outdoors, and public and private? What's it like for you when you sit down to write? So when my hair is not on fire dealing with an upcoming production less than a week away, <laughs> mm-hmm. I am someone who likes to wake up. Well, I don't like to wake up early, but the time that I have, because my job just fries my mind during the day, um, I get, I'll wake up at around between 5, 5.30ish, and I'll write for about two hours before work, Monday through Friday. And then mm-hmm. on my break, I'll, I'll get an hour for lunch and then I'll write on my lunch break. And then mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. Monday through Friday, I'll give it those two to three hours a day. And then on the weekends, it's going to be thinking time, taking notes, watching movies, reading scripts, studying, trying to get a little bit better and, and do stuff like that. So it's really simple. Um, I tend to think in pictures and then it takes a lot of energy for me to try to transcribe those pictures into something on the page that actually makes sense to somebody else. (laughs) And so for me, I've never been someone who's able to really write in public. I've never been able to to write with loud noises or music or a lot of things going on because it just, it takes so much energy for me, for my mind to transcribe those images into words that it, it just gets so easily distracted that I can be halfway through trying to transcribe one of those images into a scene and then someone like a waiter or a waitress will come over and say, do you need a refill? And then suddenly, boom, it's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not a writing public person. I, I'm pretty private when I write. Um, no, that's cool, though. Um, so what do you do for, are you comfortable sharing what your day job is? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I'm a production coordinator at the Film Permit Office in Hollywood. Oh, awesome. Cool. It's sound- way more glamorous than it is. <laughs> <laughs> right. So are you L.A. based? 
Yep, I'm in Long Beach. Oh, okay, cool. I didn't know that. Um, I saw that you went to, is it is WVU West Virginia University? Yes, it is West Virginia University. Okay, I didn't know if you were still there. So, okay, cool. You're in LA uh, and awesome. So you have a very, very film-centric day job. Yes, I do. But it's it's an arm's length away. So it's equally as frustrating as it is educational. Yeah, that's kind of like the gist I get from a lot of people who work in non-writing and non-active like filmmaking Hollywood jobs. Um, is that it's like, you know, and I would love to have a job like that just to throw it out there. But uh, We're looking for people. Yeah. I mean, when I make the jump, I don't know. I'm so like, we're fully remote. So, I mean, you can be wherever you are. You can be wherever I am. You can be wherever you want to be. Oh shit. Well, maybe, I don't know. I'll have to think about it. But, um, yeah, like, uh, I've heard people say though, it's, it's almost even more frustrating though, being like so close, but so far away. Um, it's yeah. like you're standing outside a candy shop and you get to smell and you get to look at it, but you can't uh, go in. You right. right. There's only club if you don't have a card. Yeah, definitely. And if you overstep, then you're going to get kind of like, eh, maybe he shouldn't work here anymore. <laughs> um, like trying to like show somebody your script or something like that. Somebody I'm going to end up eating all the candy. That's, yeah. that's the problem. Exactly. Uh, awesome. Uh, so can you describe your process to me like you know you said that your weekends are for thinking uh you are just walking around you get a brand new idea what is the first thing that you're gonna do do you think up a title do you write a log line do you jump into an outline do you just write a scene straight up like what do you do when you first have that brand new idea that you're like i think that's something another question that i love answering because it helps me make sense of the chaos that is my process uh-huh. <laughs> So it, it all really starts with whatever an image I get, like for one of the scripts that I wrote, it all started with, I was watching a commercial I think it was for like Mountain Dew or something. And there was just some, something visual about something that was going on. It was like a person in a ghillie suit. And I was, I, for some reason, I just took that in a context and put it something completely different. And then all of these images just started exploding in my head. And so it took a few days for me to just say, calm down. I'm working on something else right now. You need to chill. But mm-hmm. it didn't. And so I just wrote down what I was seeing and I wrote it all down. I filled up half a notebook with it. And then from that, a character sprung. And then, so I started writing up a character bio. I didn't even have a title. I didn't have a log line. I had nothing. I had no story. It was just based off of this one image that I got from a commercial. And then all these other images came up and then my mind just went on these streams of consciousness and it all just kind of ballooned into what ended up being a character bio. And then from that character bio, it ended up being a log line. And then from that log line, I got a title and then from that title, I'm able to go to a beat sheet. Like a, I, I love Save the Cat. I know that you're also a fan of Save the Cat. Yeah, let's go. They owe me money, actually, for all the advertising I give them. <laughs> I help Save the Cat a little bit because I love that beat sheet. I use it all the time. Yep. And I'll fill that beat sheet. And then I'll work on like a seven point. I'll work up with seven, you know, seven instead of 15. And then from there, I'll go to, okay, the first act in one paragraph, second act in two paragraphs, third act in, in one paragraph. And then I'll try to expand on that if I want to. But Typically for me, since I think in pictures, the 15 point beat sheet, the, the four paragraphs, that's really all I need to go into a first draft because that no one's going to see that first draft anyway. Yeah. So it's, that's usually how it starts for me. And, and for me, outlines have always been very difficult because I think in pictures, it just, it feels like a slog. And it's not even that I don't want to do the work. I'll sit mm-hmm. down and I physically can't do the work. It's not to say that I can't find a way to do it at some point if I was asked of it, but 
no one's ever asked me for an outline, so I'm not going to try and painfully march my way through an outline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at too. Um, I like to do very loose outlines. Uh, again, like a seven, a seven pointer, which I learned that term from Melissa the other week. Melissa Turkington, shout out. Um, but yeah, what's that? I was just say shout out Melissa. She's awesome. Yeah, she rules. She's awesome. Um, but yeah, I'm the same way with like, um, I, I don't want to do more work than I have to because I know that I'm going to organically discover a lot as I write. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. Um, so it does sound like you're kind of big on preparation, though. Oh, yeah. Um, they- before you jump I- into pages. Oh yeah, character bios for every character, what their relationships like with each other. I typically won't write scenes specifically, but for me, just doing the character bios. And then I love the screenwriter's Bible by Dave Trottier, because that for me, it lays out a lot of things that I like doing. Mm -hmm. And then I can just kind of take from that what I like and then do that. And it helps me build everything that I feel like I need to go in and write a first draft that's going to end up being garbage, but then I can take that first draft and turn it into something that is slightly less smelly garbage that I can then send to friends and, and my manager and then get notes and then turn that into something that eventually ends up taking the shape of what becomes a script. Yeah. I was going to ask you too, with um, your manager, do you run an idea by them before you start developing it or do you just start developing it? I just, I just start developing it. Me too. The only time I've really run something by him is I'm developing an idea with a writer friend of mine. And I just ran that by him because I was developing it with somebody else. And he, he liked it a lot. And he was like, oh, yeah, go for it. Like, yeah. if you guys have an outline, send, send me an outline if you want. If, you know, when you finish a draft, send me a draft. <laughs> we'll go over that because yeah. her and I are working on the idea together. And we're, she's working on the outline. and I'm taking it to script. So yeah. whenever I'm done working on what I'm working on right now, whenever I'm done with the short, that's going to be the next project. But typically, whenever I come up with an idea... I just, I run with it because like I said, I'm someone who I'm going to write what I want to write. And that's why that's part of the reason why I love my manager so much because he embraces the chaos that is the person who I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that's half the battle is finding someone that understands you. Um, I know my manager, you hear all these things before you get repped about people's relationships with their managers. And like some people it's like, yeah, you know, me and my manager will sit down and talk on the phone or talk in person about five ideas that I have. And they tell me the one that I need to write and I go write it. Um, so I kind of like had that in the back of my mind when I first got repped and uh, a few other stories and all valid, you know. But um, when I talked to my manager about that kind of stuff, he was like, well, I mean, you know, I'm never going to tell you not to write something that you want to write if you want to write it, then there's probably a reason that you want to write it. And, uh, I was like, Oh, so (laughs) that kind of like derails everything that I, every preconceived notion that I had about what this was going to be like, you know, but I actually love it because it's very low stress. And it's like, you know, he understands too, that like, you know, a lot of my natural writing voice is like these small indie dramas, like, And, you know, unfortunately, the kind of movies that aren't like, you know, they're not Marvel movies. They're not like sure cash draws that are going to, you know, quadruple the budget easily. Commercial viability. Yes. You know, and it's like, I do want that in my writing. That's something that I'm trying to figure out myself is like, I do want to be commercially viable. Like, I do want to make money. I want to make a decent (laughs) amount of money. Like, that would be very nice. But um, also, I want to, like, keep my integrity and all that shit. But um. 
Yeah. It's it, 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 say what? It's, just, it's a tight rope to walk. Yeah, exactly. Right. And like, you know, it was just cool to me, though, that like, you know, when we had this conversation, I was describing a movie that I wanted to write that was indeed very, very small. And uh, he was like, yeah, you should do it because I'm never going to tell you not to write something. And uh, I actually like that because some people also have horror stories about managers who are trying to just make a buck and trying to make the biggest buck that they possibly can. Um, and I definitely didn't want that with the type of storytelling that I want to do. Um, some people do just want to tell really big stories and that's it. And that's awesome. You know, do your thing. But uh, I would definitely hate to have a manager who does because that's like what the agent is for. They're to, they're to come in there and be the, I don't expect my, my agent to, I, I don't even have an agent yet. I'm still navigating that part of having a career of like, so what is that relationship? Like, like, does it really matter what they think about my creativity and my process and things? I don't know yet, but um, yeah, I definitely wanted a manager who's like, no, write the shit that's in your heart. Yeah. You know? And I feel like once you find that it really validates a lot of the reasons why you've gotten to writing in the first place. And there are a lot of people I know who do approach writing with a militaristic style where mm -hmm. it's almost like with, with, with a tinge of magnetism where it's like outline, 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 fifth draft of an outline, sixth draft of an outline. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's, you know, that that's fine. If, if you like to do that, then, then great. Find yourself a rep who will put you through the ringer and really torture outline and, and go back and forth on it before you hit script. And then if your first draft from that is perfect and stunned, then there you go. It's your style. And yep. if you find a rep that's conducive to that, then more power to you. And mm -hmm. if, if you're like me and I, I sounds like, like you on the other end of that spectrum, then finding someone who is conducive to that style is perfect. It, it validates things. It, it makes you feel like you're not doing things the wrong way. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the thing is, is there's no right or wrong in exactly. this. It's art. Exactly. And you that's quite frustrating hearing like, no, this is the way that it's done. That's the way uh -huh. that it's not done. It's like, no, to both of that. Yeah, there was a writer, um, you might have seen this tweet, because I feel like a lot of people in the community saw it. But uh, there was a writer who mentioned that a professional writer had read their script, and uh, had told them that they were using, you know, how like you'll do like, exterior grocery store continuous, because it's the same scene continuing. I think um, I know. Yeah. yeah, so I guess he was writing continuously, and he wasn't doing it at the appropriate times, like he didn't really have an understanding of exactly what that was, which to tell you the truth, I don't fucking know for sure. Like, I just guess when I use continuous, I've kind of stopped using it out of just being like, I don't really know. But like, I know it's not that confusing. But anyway, very stupid, um, small thing to even be worried about. And apparently this professional writer like really, really cut into him and uh, was kind of cruel in their feedback. And I just I hate hearing shit like that because there is I I there's a chance that I'm not even going to notice or say anything about you using continuously um, because it's just not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of like, well, how good was their script? Like it, it how good were their characters? It's more symptomatic of a bigger issue. Like if I'm reading something and it's just nothing's working, but there are also bigger surface issues like that. It's easier to notice that because you're, you're not really engaged in the story anyway. So mm -hmm. I wonder if there's maybe a shade of that going on again. It's just projections because I, I kind of view a lot of these Twitter things from an arm's length away. Yeah. That, that for me, at least in my experience, whenever I do notice things like that, and the only time I do actually call them out is when I'm just not engaged for one reason or another. And then I'll call it out and say, hey, listen, I see this, but I see this because, and I guess this is the difference. 
I'll say that, listen, I'll point this out, but I'm only pointing it out because I was not engaged and here are the reasons why I wasn't engaged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a really good point actually, because um, I do think that when you can tell by page five, that you're in really good hands uh, from a storyteller page one, uh, they could make a bunch of formatting errors throughout the script. And I really don't care because it's just like there, there's something about this voice is good. Oh my Um, God. And there have been so many scripts that I've read from working writers who they just basically flip formatting off and tell it to go fuck itself. And it yeah. works. It works perfectly. It works for the story. It works for the characters. Yeah. I've seen I've seen scripts that have different scene headers for different, like sometimes it'll be a traditional slug line. Other times it'll just be one word in all caps and bolded. And that's it. Nothing else. Yeah. And this is this is the same script. Yeah. And it's like traditionally speaking, you look at this and go, rules. But at the same time, it's like, who gives a fuck? You're not gonna see that on screen if it works and it doesn't pull you out of the story then shut up <laughs> yeah i mean i i would think it's like you know the first electric guitar player to bend the string and someone was like whoa 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 what are you doing and they're like i'm fucking doing that because it sounds cool and i know what i'm doing i'm that good at playing guitar you know and uh it, it's kind of like that like there there does come a point in your writing where and i feel like i've just entered this point not this point but i've just started seeing it this way of like i'm comfortable with myself as a writer now um just being that like i've had enough positive reinforcement at this point where i'm like okay like i'm kind of i'm kind of okay at this um i'm i'm not like struggling because before you get any kind of like you know, positive reinforcement from a contest or from like a feedback service, or you get in the nickel with two scripts, some stuff like that. Yeah. Or just like getting, like getting a rep is like the ultimate, like, uh, okay, now like you're, you're good enough to be entering the professional world. Um, but before that, when you're just playing the game and grinding it out and like showing scripts to friends and being like, is this good? And so like, that's just the fucking worst. It is the worst time as a writer of just like trying. So, and everyone has to go through it. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, it's just, um, it, it, it's so tough and you get to a point, like I'm at a point now where it's like, just, I, I can feel it as I'm writing that. Like, I really don't give a shit about quote unquote rules. And it's really important to care about the rules when you are learning uh, it's that classic thing people talk about of like learn the rules and learn when to break them. It really is like that. But um, that's, I think, why you see so many pro scripts that like do the most insane shit that you've ever seen. Like uh, just just wild stuff that you're just like, oh, they can do that because they're fucking Jimmy Page uh, of screenwriting. Like they can do crazy bends and uh, bring out a, a violin bow and play a solo like that you know, on a guitar. Um, impeccable. The the character arcs make a lot of sense in relation to the theme. The the character's yeah. function within the narrative makes sense and has a strong correlation to the theme. Yes. The narrative voice pops off the page. Each character leaps yeah. off the page and they're easy to differentiate between other characters in the script. If you're yeah. able to do all of those things, no, the furthest thing from anybody's mind is going to be, wait a second, you used continuously when you're not supposed to. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Um so yeah, anyway, all of that to say, uh, for, screw the rules. I don't know. Like, uh, the rules are there for a reason, but at the same time, like, I just really hate Cause that isn't that 90% of the screenwriting Twitter drama is just I, like someone brings up a rule and then someone's like, that's not true. And then it's just chaos for five days. 
I honestly, I've tried to peel back at how, how <clears throat> on Twitter and not only how often I'm on, I just, I don't interject in fuck all anything anymore. Yeah. I just, it's not, it's not worth it because people are going to have their opinions and they're going to believe that they're right. And that's fair. You're entitled to have your opinion mm-hmm. and everyone else is entitled to tell you that you're wrong. And that's what Twitter is. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. The social screenwriters podcast is sponsored by brave maker. We are a 501c3 nonprofit film organization dedicated to supporting filmmakers and screenwriters just like you, elevating brave stories for justice, diversity, and inclusion. We have a film festival July 7th through the 10th, 2022, in person in Redwood City, California, the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area. We invite you to consider submitting your film and screening with 40 other filmmakers from around the country for our four-day annual film festival in July. Check us out at bravemaker.com or look for us on Film Freeway at filmfreeway.com slash bravemakerfilmfest. Brave stories change the world and you are the story. Follow us on Instagram and YouTube at bravemakerorg. All right, so back into it. Sam, I would like to know, on average, how long does it take for you to finish a first draft from the minute you start writing pages, not prep? Gotcha. So the minute I start writing pages, probably between two and four weeks for a first draft. Mm-hmm. But I, I see that as someone who, with a first draft for me, I have two different first drafts. Okay. The first version of that first draft, no one will ever lay eyes on. I will eventually delete and it will be like it never, ever, ever existed to anyone, including yeah. myself. It's like but a reason- point, point 0.5 draft. Exactly. And that actually ends up being my version of an outline. And mm-hmm. I'm able to see, okay, what doesn't work and what does work, but actually in the context of the literal page and the literal scene work and seeing, okay, this character needs to be more active in the context of this scene, or this character needs to be more active in the context of this sequence. Um, and, and all that kind of fun stuff. And going through that, I don't edit as I go through. I don't, sometimes I won't even really reread a whole lot. Like I'll read myself in a scene or two beforehand where I left off and kind of go from there. But I try not to get hung up on it because I know it's going to get deleted. I know that it's going to get reworked. And then typically when I finish that, I will just the very next day, I will go right back into starting like page zero, blank page. Sometimes depending on how I felt about that 0.5 draft, I'll maybe have it up for reference, but for yeah. the most part, I'll just open up another blank document. I'll have my little like script outline hybrid kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have the the benefit of knowing, okay, wow, this sequence did not work. Okay, wow, the third act just does it. It's like a, it's in a totally different movie. And I can kind of see it from a bird's eye view. And it really helps me see it from that bird's eye view because since I'm such a visual thinker, an outline just doesn't do that for me. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, so is your 0.5 draft uh, like 90 pages or like however long, like a traditional feature that you wrote would be? It varies. I mean, I've done one that was 85. I've done one that was 125. I've never written anything over 125 pages, believe it or not. And I'm someone That's who- long. Yeah. Mine's 121 is my record. Yeah, I think the longest finished something that I have was about 118. And that was something where it's like a sprawling World War II- Great. Yeah. <laughs> even, even that's better served as a pilot. And I'm going to be reworking that as a pilot sometime in the future. But oh, even nice. like, the early drafts of that was 115, 120, and it never really got longer than that. Have we gotten a World War II-esque or any kind of historical war series yet? 
Oh yeah, Band of Brothers, right? That um, there was Hunters. That was recent. That intercut between present day. Well, not present day, but that intercut between previous war times and I believe it was the seventies or eighties. It's been okay, a little cool. while. I watched that show, so I'm sure someone will will point out that I'm wrong. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't even fucking know what I was talking about. I was feeling real ballsy even throwing that out there because someone's <laughs> gonna be like, "You don't know anything about what's on TV." <laughs> but, uh, it is a good point because I do feel like there isn't a lot. And I feel like there's probably a reason for that because it's TV shows are expensive enough as it is. Yes. Or TV shows where you're actually in like world war two and you're not intercutting between non war times and war times. It's like, no, you're intercutting between war times with this person, <laughs> war times with that person. So it's, yeah. I, I would have to imagine there's a reason for it. The execution to be not game of Thrones size because mm -hmm. not everybody's going to have blank checks to throw at every episode and say, okay, yeah, you have a hundred million dollar budget for each episode. Right, right, right. Yep. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But I would be interested to see that. And I do think that's cool. Um, did you know that the first draft of Lady Bird was like 350 pages or something? I did not know that. But to be honest with you, stories like that, it doesn't surprise me when I hear that the drafts are that long because you can, I can live with those characters. Yeah. I mean, shit, you've shot that draft. Page yeah. for page. I still probably would have watched the whole damn thing. <laughs> I would have too. Yeah, I love that movie. Um, but yeah, she cut it, uh, Greta Gerwig. She cut it from, I, I want to say 350. I know it was 300 something, uh, maybe 320, but she cut it down to 120. That's and so I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's like, how did you cut, you know, 200 pages or something? But cut it. Like, just the thought of writing any singular thing that's 350 pages. It just makes my body burst into flames. I mean, yeah. this po podcasting is an audible medium, so you can't see that I'm literally on fire right now. Yeah, he is on fire. I'm probably going to call 911. Um, <laughs> but yeah, dude, uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. But um, yeah, I'm always interested in that. We have very different processes, you and I, because I don't know if you've heard me say it before in another episode, but I am very much a rewrite while you write. First draft has to be fucking perfect. And it never is, by the way. But um, I try. I always try to get scenes as perfect as I can before I can't move on until it feels perfect. And I really want to land on my page count because I hate cutting. But um, again, it goes back to there's no rules in this and there's no there's no one way of doing this. And I guess that that might be a way for me to boil down why I love writing so much is that you can be the most unfiltered version of yourself. And people want that. People will spend money on that. Yep. Like, mm -hmm. Wait a second, I can just be whatever version of myself I feel like being and you'll pay me to put that on a page? Yeah. Yeah, I know. And, you know, it's kind of like how we opened up this uh, episode with a lot of vulnerability on your part. And um, I, I would just throw this out there. This is just my opinion, take it or leave it. But to newer screenwriters, like, I just really think that the best shit you were ever going to write is going to be the most personal, vulnerable thing that you don't really necessarily love saying out loud to people. And the good thing is you can say it to a page. Yeah, everyone's going to read it and know later that it was you writing it, but uh, they'll get to read it when it's the most polished version of you vomiting that idea out. And um, I just, I find that to be a really recurring thing that like I've met one or two writers in my life who have told me, just in speaking to each other, some personal anecdote from their life that's infinitely interesting and so unique. And, you know, I've never met someone who had that happen. 
and they're reluctant to talk about it because maybe they're just, you know, not that comfortable sharing personal things, which is totally valid. Um, but I would just urge anyone like that to try to get comfortable with it because it's going to be like a superpower once you learn how to be vulnerable like that on the page. I, well, I couldn't agree more. And for me, I think a big attraction to screenwriting for me was that much like in therapy where I had to learn how to be vulnerable, I can just do it on the page mm -hmm. and no one's going to judge me for it. And the people who read it, even though reading it would be a form of judgment, there's still a chance that they can relate to it. And to me, just when you put yourself out there, that's how you get friends. That's how you get relationships. It's how you meet people. And when you do the same thing on a script, it's how you draw people to you. It's how you draw people to the material. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. And you're going to find so many people who are going to message you after reading that script and be like, dude, I have felt that way for so long. And, you know, whatever, like uh, my first script that I wrote, it's about a kid getting into backyard wrestling, but it's really about like feeling like a coward. What is that? Suplex, right? Yeah, suplex. Yeah. Um, and but it's kind of just about like taking the next step in life and low key feeling like a coward about yourself and not feeling like the most courageous guy. And with that comes a lot of like, you know, uh, traditional toxic masculinity that boys are brought up with in this day and age. And it's not all about that, but there's definitely some touches of that. Um which is something that, you know, I mean, women, it's, it's hard for anyone to be super vulnerable, but I think there is something to guys who have grown up with those influences of like toxic masculinity in their lives and stuff. Yeah. It's like, it, it creates another barrier of being like, I'm not supposed to share my feelings. I'm supposed to keep all that shit buried. Um, and for anyone who has grown up with that, cause that's how I grew up. I grew up with two older brothers. I grew up in a group of guys that we got into fights and, uh, you know, we were, uh, whatever, uh, just not, not guys who were sharing our souls with each other. You know what I mean? It was just typical guy shit. You don't talk about that stuff. Uh, you don't talk about any of your feelings. And I, I had to learn that as a writer that like, Oh my God, once I start sharing this stuff that I have, I have a well of things that I want to talk about that I never got to talk about. Um, that's when all the best stuff come started coming out. And I think that everybody writer or not, has that to be honest and yeah. for me i i feel like everybody in a way is taught to push their feelings down because they could be difficult for other people to deal with or it could complicate mm -hmm. things for other people yeah. and i think that once you're able to look at that and tell yourself and convince yourself that that line of thinking is patently bullshit because people want to help. Generally speaking, I believe that people are empathetic. I believe that you can learn empathy, even if it's not innate to you. And I think that people really want that to their absolute core. I, I almost think that empathy is a need for everybody, whether they believe it or, or would admit to it or not. And I just, to, to me, that's, that, that's where it all comes back to is, is, is empathy. And I don't even really know like where this is where this thought is going, but it's just yeah. it's something that I find myself forever in, in infatuated with the idea that everyone can learn empathy and whether or not you were brought up that with the idea that you can't share your feelings because it's uncomfortable for other people. Well, mm -hmm. no, fuck that. It's not about what's uncomfortable for other people. It's about what's comfortable for you. It's about mm -hmm. what's good for you, but finding out a way to do that and, and express your feelings and express yourself in a way that isn't selfish in a way that, that, you know, allows yourself to feel heard and feel validated. I just, I don't feel like there's enough of that. And empathy goes a long way in helping people be more conducive to doing that. I think. 
Yes. Yeah, definitely. And like you, you, you kind of said at the beginning of that, um, it all comes back to empathy. I feel like that is such just like storytelling in general. You know what I mean? It all comes back to empathy. Um, take a movie like John Wick. That movie starts with empathy, you know, yeah. and then it's about him literally just murdering people who wronged yeah. him. But um, it all starts with that. empathy. My, my, my mom loved that movie. My mom's in her, her, I think she may have, my mom actually just turned 60 and I showed that movie to her for the first time, the original one for the first time. Yeah. God, was it like a month and a half, two months ago? She loved it. She yeah. absolutely loved it. She fosters puppies. So the whole opening act was just horrifying for her. And yeah. halfway through the movie, she paused it. She looks at me and she went, I would do the same thing he's doing right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, like, <laughs> I can't believe, honestly, that it took until just recently, the last, I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago, that first one came out. Because my mom is also... Uh, she's uh, just turned 60. She's 61 ish, but um, she is a huge dog lover and she fucking loves that movie. And um, it's, it, it's amazing to me that it took this long to get that story of someone hurt my dog. And now I'm going to kill everyone because isn't that how so many of us feel like, you know, at least people who love dogs. It's like, if someone looks at my dog wrong, I'm going to say something to them. Like, what the I fuck is your problem of the story where a loved one dies? Like the wife of the protagonist gets killed. Like, yes. And that's why I feel like it's, it's always so funny. Like the most dangerous thing you could ever be is the wife of an action movie protagonist. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Getting away from that. And I love that principally, it's still exactly the same. I mean, okay, well, instead of the wife, then it's the child. Or instead of being a child, then it's a, a pet or the dog of the protagonist. Basically, anything that's in relation to a protagonist, you can use as motivation to kill off and have them just go on an absolute rampage. <laughs> Definitely. And it goes with what you were saying at the very beginning of like, I like to take a tradition, a trope in a certain genre or subgenre and change one thing about it and make yep. it Oops. new. And it does. Yeah. It's a formula that works time and time again. But it um, feels much. It does. Yeah, definitely. It's like people who have done, I mean, shit, when you think about it, like, uh, I don't know if that's a great example, but like people have been reinventing the found footage genre. I, I think that say i guess this came out around the same time all those found footage movies but like i was gonna say a movie like cloverfield you oh, know? God. yeah and it took the monster movie the godzilla the king kong all of that stuff and it said what if it was on a camcorder and it was a person running through the city trying to save their girlfriend uh, i fucking love cloverfield i'm such a huge fan and um but yeah it's like oh that's absolutely genius you know, like that is taking a genre and adding a new element that completely changes the game. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's like that with uh, with John Wick as well. You're right. It's like the classic thing of a family member dying. But weirdly, I think that we it's funny that like as horror fans, we can settle for there being one hundred and fifty innocent people being murdered in a movie. And it's not a big deal. But the second a dog dies, it's like, what the fuck was, were they thinking when they made this? <laughs> Exactly. And I'm a huge proponent too of simple plot. Give us a really yeah. simple, easy, easy to understand, easy to digest. I don't have to think too hard about what the point of this movie is. And then you can just, you're opening yourself up to a world that you can play around with so much because people aren't going to be asking themselves, what are they doing again? Why are they doing this? If people know what your character is doing and why they're doing it, they're going to strap in and sit along for the ride, whatever that ride is. Yeah, definitely. Um, Scott Myers, on, who was on Twitter, 
at go into the story is his handle really good follow for writers and seems like a really good guy. But um, I stole something from him that I love, which is he every so often he'll tweet this out. It's a simple plot, complex characters yep. or words. And it is so fucking true. And it's become it's become my storytelling motto. Honestly, um, it, it's it's so true. I mean, John Wick, you know, thieves break into a house and kill a dog. That was the last gift from his deceased wife, girlfriend. I can't quite remember that detail. It's been a while. But um, and he goes to seek revenge, yeah. um, you know, a movie like Taken, that was a big phenomenon when it came out, you know, the these tra- horror. What's that? It's three of them. So people loved it. People ate it up. It's so easy. Guy, exactly. Daughter gets kidnapped. Guy goes to Europe, gets daughter back. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. But there's so much complexity in that action movie, too, you know, to Liam Neeson's character. And um, that's the other thing, you know, you can say, uh uh guy's daughter gets kidnapped he goes to europe to find her now what is his occupation these are things to think about when you're creating characters and putting them into plots like so this is this guy's plot what would be the most interesting job or background uh, history of this person for this specific plot and it's like oh he's like an ex like cia operative like he's got a very specific set of skills as he famously says in the movie and um and then you're on board you know and the same thing with john wick but like um i'm trying to think of another example um like diehard that he, he's a cop I and mean, if, if he were yeah. anything else he wouldn't have done any of that shit he would have probably just came out with his hands up and that's the end of the movie yeah yeah um same another i don't know if you've seen blue ruin oh my god i love them yeah i love it too jeremy saulnier blue ruin he's the guy who did green room if you guys have seen that it's an amazing he's done a bunch murder party is fucking amazing he's one of my favorite writer directors but um blue ruin he says something in the making of on that uh blu-ray where he's like uh you know we've seen because blue ruin is a movie where um uh, a man his parents were murdered and the murderer gets out of prison early and he goes to seek revenge on this guy because he feels like the system failed him. And it, from there, it's just like this. Um, it's a revenge movie. But um, he was like, you know, we always see these revenge movies where these people are very well prepared to go get revenge. John Wick, Taken, things like that. You know, they're ex-CIA operatives or military or whatever. He was like, what if we just got one of those where the guy's just kind of a dopey guy? You know, he's not very big he's not very strong he doesn't have any weapons training um what is that like and it's like that does again it's taking a tradition and it's flipping it on its head a little bit with just one subtle change and uh and it makes for a great movie because i you know again with my first script having to do with like you know uh a a guy dealing with his own cowardice who was trying to overcome that i feel like blue ruin is sort of like that too it's like he's he's a bit of a coward but he knows what he has to do and that's character development. That's character growth. Um, but yeah, it's really something to think about just for newer writers. Um, what's the most interesting occupation, background, history, character detail that you can give to your main character, considering the plot that you've already tried to construct here? Uh, it's just something that it, it's such a vital ingredient in a great story. Um, yeah. So moving on from that, uh, you said two to five. We went on such a tangent. Uh, I, I do this every time with every guest. So uh, don't feel weird about it or anything. But so 
What's that? I just, all, all good. Going on tangents is like 90% of my personality. Yeah, I know, dude, you're preaching <laughs> to the choir here. I am the fucking worst about it. Uh, okay, so you said two to four weeks with once prep is done to get a draft done. So when the draft is done, what is the first thing that you do with it? Are you a person who you have some friends that you send it to, trusted friends? Do you like to put it away for a while and not look at it? Uh, and then bust it out later when with a clear head. Do you throw it into a contest right away? What's the first thing that you do when you finish a draft? So it depends what draft it is when I finish it. Because if it's that draft 0.5, then I'll crumble it up. I'll throw it away. I'll light it on fire and I'll throw the ashes into the ocean. <laughs> I'll just get rid of it. There's no trace of it. It never existed. But right. I use an outline for myself. And then from that point, whenever I have a draft that I'm actually comfortable with, I do have a group of writers that I trust with my life, absolutely love every single one of them. And I'll send it to them if they're, if they have the, the opening and the availability to read it, they give fantastic notes. They're very honest. They're very blunt, but they're, they do so with a lot of kindness. So mm -hmm. I, I love getting notes from them. And then my manager, my manager worked in development for most of his career, most of his life. And it's just, they're the best notes I've ever gotten yeah. point blank period. Every time we talk, my mind just explodes with ideas and I'm able to build and build and build and, it's a huge reason why I feel like I've developed as a writer over the past year since, since I signed with him. So I, I trust him. I rely on my friends and then I'll just kind of go from there. Yeah. That's awesome. Developing that circle is so crucial. Of it is absolutely everything because you'll develop alongside them too, because they will drag you with mm -hmm. them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and getting friends, like you said, the ones that, uh, can be a part of it is being a professional yeah. being professional enough to say, yes, we are friends, but you don't have to only say nice things to me when we're talking about my project. Like that's a time where you have a green light to just light it up. Tell me what works. Tell me what doesn't work. And also a good note giver is not just going to light you up. They're going to tell you, you know, like, I think that you did this really well. This character is really well developed. However, I think there's something with this plot going on that isn't working for me. And yeah. what if uh, they went in this direction? What if they went in that direction? Or uh, what if we just rethought what's, you know, just that kind of, someone else had a good tweet today. I, I live on Twitter. Uh, someone else had a good tweet today that was like the right way to frame notes are usually like, what if, or, um, you know, things like that. And like, I always find that such like a sensitive, nice way to lean into things like what if it was like this and you propose, you know, your idea um, rather than what you need to do is. Yeah, uh, if you pose a question, you give the option to them to make a decision on the note that you're giving. And when you yeah. give notes, that's the point. You're not, there's no, this is the right way to write this scene. There's mm -hmm. no, this is how to make it better. No, yeah. that stuff doesn't exist because then you're writing your version of their script. Yes. And that's just not what notes are supposed to be. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but that's something that I had to learn along the way. Like I think note giving is a craft in and of itself. Big time. And there are some writers that I know who are, and they will remain nameless. They're great people and they're yeah. fantastic writers, but mm -hmm. just, they're just not great at giving notes. And that's yeah. fine. It is fine. It's totally okay. It is a skill set. And if you're not great at it, then you're not great at it. It's totally yeah. okay. No one's going to ding you for it. You're not yeah. going to lose out on opportunities because you don't give notes a certain way. Mm -hmm. it, it absolutely is a skill set. And I feel like it's a skill set that requires a, even more empathy than actually writing. Yeah. The only way that I would challenge what you just said, because I do agree with like 99%. The only thing I would say, add is that 
it, it is something that you can get better at. And I mm-hmm. think that you should try to Agreed. get better at. Absolutely agree. Yeah. Cause like you might lose out on like a potential nice friendship with a writer that you two would have really vibed and uh, really helped each other's work. But because you refuse to come off of that, like preachiness in your notes or um, trying to, again, like this is something I used to do. I used to take someone's idea and put way too much of myself as a writer into my notes of like, here's how I would do it. And uh, it took me quite a while to learn that, like, that's just not the right way to do. And I've actually sent out apologies to people that I did that to, because once I had that revelation, I was like, oh, my God, Uh, because I just thought about how shitty that had to feel. Because when you get really bad notes, it it can hurt your feelings, especially early on. Uh, Later on in your writing, it definitely stings. But like I. I kind of just take it on the chin now. I'm just like, oh, well, you know, if they're really bad notes, I'm just like, that person is a bad note giver. Uh, but I'll try not to just, there, sometimes there is a nugget of truth in there that I'm like, that is a good point though. It's just with anything, repetition, you get better. You get better at giving notes. You get better at receiving notes. Um, you gain and confidence. And when it comes to receiving notes too, I feel like that's almost equally as much of a skill as it is giving notes because I feel like, it takes a certain kind of writer and person really to see through the bullshit. Like let, let's use an example of someone gave just awful, horrible notes. They injected themselves into it. They said, you should do it this way. Mm-hmm. The majority of the things they pointed out were formatting issues, what have you. Someone, something that I've learned along the way is that even the worst set of notes can have some kind of value. You just have to dig really, really, really deep to find it because at the end of the day, everyone operates off of feelings. And yeah. if you're reading something, like if I'm reading something, and I feel that I just don't like it, that could be enough for me to look at it and go, okay, well then why don't they like it? And even if it's just one person, I've always felt it's it's very helpful to then follow up and say, okay, you didn't articulate why you didn't like it. Do you know why? And even if they don't know why, then I can sit back and ask myself, okay, is it just a personal taste thing? Is it something that I can dig in a little bit deeper to? Maybe it's personal biases. Maybe it's something else. Maybe there's something here that no no one else caught. Maybe it's something that I haven't caught. And even if you ask all those questions and the answer still ends up to be nothing, just the fact that you went through and did that exercise to me is an exercise that I feel like is worthy of everyone's time whenever you're, you're, you're trying to find out how to take notes in a way that isn't going to destroy you from the inside. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, I, I really, I really like the way you frame that because it's, it's very analytical in all different ways and you're factoring in subjective human psychology uh, that no two brands are going to see something the same. So what is it here? Is it something that I need to, need to even entertain? Or is it something that's so completely off base? I just need to move on because it's really not a big deal. Um, and you can get really caught up too in taking a bad note too much to heart and changing something about your story that you definitely shouldn't have changed. That was definitely just fine or even good or great. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You really have to just, I feel like that's a huge part of this too, about chasing this dream is like just realizing that no two people are the same. It's so subjective. Um, Learn to take things with a grain of salt. I I once told this story, but I'll tell it really, really quick again, because I feel like not everyone has heard the earlier episodes, but I, the first time I ever talked to a rep was the end of 2020 and we had a phone conversation 
And they told me, yeah, you know, the stuff that you sent me is good. Uh, it was dramedy scripts. And they were like, uh, but they're kind of small. And, you know, these aren't really movies that do much at the box office. I'm not sure if this is something we could sell. However, I think you're talented. And if you wrote something more in like the horror or like thriller genre, that's something I think that could work. And I was like, oh, OK. So I got off that phone call. Uh, bummed out that they didn't want to rep me, but I was like, okay, so I need to go write a horror script because I'm a huge horror fan. <clears throat> so I spent the next four months of my writing life working on this horror feature. And when I finished it, it's, it's fine. It's, it's all right. <clears throat> but I was in a horror writers group at the time and I sent it to them and they were like, yeah, it's pretty good. You know, it's whatever. And then like a week later out of necessity, because we had no one giving up a project that week, I sent suplex and they were like, holy shit, this is like really good. Like, this is your voice, like leaping off a page. And I was like, okay. So I messed up. I took that dude's, that one person's advice way too much to heart and said, I'm going to change my entire career's trajectory. And um, it was a mistake, you know, and that's okay because well, well, you just... I, would, I would argue that it's not a mistake because I feel like, would you really come solidified understanding of yourself and who you are as a writer without having that experience? Exactly. No, I wouldn't. So you're right. It, and it was a really good exercise in writing a feature length thing in a genre that I really admire and hadn't written in yet. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it, looking back, it's all, it's all positive. However, like a four month derailment does suck because I think about what else I could have been doing, but um, yeah, it's like, you know, you just can't take anyone's advice too serious or their thoughts on who you are and your career. Like, it's just really believing who you are, knowing who you are and really, really believing it and not letting people rock you off of that path. Um, and I feel, yeah, I feel like that's going to continue far into your professional career too. Big time. Everyone tried to tell Jordan Peele he couldn't make it out yeah. until Jason Bloom was like, let's just make it for cheap. Yeah. And look what fucking happened. It kind of changed the course of horror for a moment. Yeah. Um, with all these emergences of like socially conscious horror stories that are really deep and well thought out. And I would argue not as well thought out as get out. That's a masterpiece, but yeah. it's hard to, it's hard to beat a masterpiece. Yeah. Big time that, and that script still remains my all time favorite script. Really? I um, haven't read it. It's, it's flawless. It's really? flawless. And literally every single aspect of it is just flawless. I don't have any other words to say about it other than that. Wow. Yeah. I'm a huge, I was a huge fan of Key and Peele before Get Out. And um, once Get Out came out, I remember leaving the theater and being like, oh my God, Jordan Peele is a genius. Like he's a legitimate genius. And I still feel that way. The first thing I said to my girlfriend, whenever we walked out of that theater, when we saw it for the first time was this is going to win the screenplay Oscar. Watch. Really? The first, the credits started rolling. I looked over and said, this is going to win the Oscar for screenplay. <laughs> wow, you called it. Yeah, no, I remember I was with a group of friends and we were walking out like, that was a perfect movie. Like, yeah. I, I have no notes. I have no criticisms. That was a perfect movie. Exactly. Um, yeah, and yeah, he's amazing. Uh, okay, so, uh, but you have a group of trusted friends that you like to send to. Do you put your first draft away for a while or do you just like finish the end and send it to those people? Um, I'll, I'll send it to them and then I'll kind of take some time away from, from writing, to be honest, yeah. I'll try to live whatever yeah. that looks like, wherever I'm at mentally, physically, financially, let's mm -hmm. try to live a little bit for a few days, weeks until notes start to trickle in. I tend to work on one project at a time. 
because it's it's very difficult for me to focus energy on two. I like to just put everything I have into one thing at a time. Yeah. It's 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 just how I've operated. It's how I've always operated. It's how I feel comfortable operating. And so I'll just I'll bang out a third, a fourth, a fifth, sixth, seven. I'll take out however many drafts it needs, and I'll just go through the ringer and. For me, rewrites tend to be blank, page zero, every single time. So when I start a new draft, every time I'll take the notes, I'll sometimes print a script out, write some notes on the page, and then I'll just I'll start from page zero again. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I'm always so interested in that too, the rewriting process. I could start a podcast just about rewriting because uh, that's, I feel like, I feel like I need to add more questions about the rewrite because that's uh, infinitely interesting how people approach it. We have a sister uh, podcast called the social rewriters podcast. Oh my God. Fuck. I might have to cut that out because that's too good. And someone's going to steal it. No. Yeah. I, I, I think, uh, I think I'm going to add in some questions about that. I've been figure. I've been thinking about how to mix it up a little bit. Uh, okay. So we talked about getting away from screenwriting after you finish a draft. What are some of your hobbies outside of screenwriting? Oh, I don't even know what those are anymore. <laughs> can you can you define hobby for me? Hobby is anything that is not sitting in front of your laptop, typing uh, and uh, writing a story. I love going for walks. Um, we live yeah. in downtown Long Beach, and it's just it is absolutely gorgeous here. So we'll go for walks, walk down to the Queen Mary, walk down to the aquarium, mm-hmm. sit at the lighthouse. I. For me, since I've always had my demons with medication, I rely on weed a lot with with that stuff. And so I, I'll walk down to the, the Queen Mary with a joint and I'll sit down and I'll look out at the water and, and I'll smoke a joint. Yeah. And that for me, I don't know if that really necessarily qualifies as a hobby per se. It is. No, it is. It's self-care. <laughs> it's something that I find myself doing. And, you know, it's funny because I've actually had conversations with my girlfriend about trying to get more hobbies and, and doing more and expanding my horizons. And it's something that, especially recently, I'm trying a little bit harder to do because it, it does tend to swallow me up and, and spit me out. And that's something that I'm trying to figure out. It's a cycle I'm trying to break. And I think sure. finding additional hobbies will be a good way for me to break that. Because right now, other than going for walks and smoking joints and maybe <laughs> video games, like I, I don't really have a whole lot because so much of my life just revolves around this. Yeah, I mean, video games to count for sure. Uh, no, I can relate, man. Uh, it, it's 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 really, I mean, it's just tough yeah. uh, wanting to do this at the highest level because the competition is so fierce yeah. that like it's, I don't know about you, but like I don't really take days off very often where I don't do anything film or screenwriting related. I do. Not very often. Like I'll, I, yeah. I, I yeah. try. I just, I feel like, it's important. I get burnt, I get burnt out, yeah. I, especially, with, especially with my job. And I know that you, you shoot weddings and I, yeah. I have a lot of friends who shoot weddings too. And I know that that is not easy. And a lot of times it's very rarely fun. <laughs> and yeah, so it, it's, it's not very get, fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get burnt out so quickly that for me, a day off from screenwriting looks kind of like I'll wake up, I'll smoke a joint in the morning. I'll make some breakfast. I'll watch a movie. I'll play yeah. some video games, but, but I'll watch a movie and not study it. I'll watch a movie because I just want to watch a movie. So yeah. it's like, I try to approach doing that stuff and like writing in a notebook and reading a craft book or reading just a, a, a narrative fiction book. And even though those things can be interpreted as part of working, you know, and, and doing that work, sure. I, I try to, I feel like reframing it 
and and taking ownership of when it used to be a hobby and kind of reverting back to that you know that mind state of when it was a hobby mm-hmm. has been really helpful for me to kind of look at days off as more days off rather than days working and rather than looking at this craft book and saying oh, I'm, t- I'm so exhausted, I don't want to work today. I've found that for me, reframing it more so to look at it as, oh, I, I want to read this book, so I have time today, I'm going to read this book. It's yeah. been really helpful for me to kind of take a step back, take a deep breath, refresh, and then come back on Monday with fresh eyes and a fresh body. Definitely, yeah. It's something that I'm trying to get better at too because I do know that working yourself ragged like that, like, you know, and I'm talking like some days I will say I didn't take the day off because I looked at the script for an hour. 45 minutes you know and it's like but um yeah i have this weird sick thing in me though that's like if i take the day off i'm letting myself fall behind and again this is like a thing that like i'm just really really chasing that first paycheck from screenwriting or film and i haven't gotten one yet um that yeah it's just like this weird obsession and i know it's not healthy um aaron sorkin takes days off I'm telling Jordan Peele takes days off. Yeah, yeah, Terry they definitely Peele do. Takes days off. Ryan Johnson takes days off. Yep. Um, mm. Gerwin takes days off. Mm. Every everyone takes days off. And on days where they're off, I'm sure that you might be working. And I'm sure on days where you want to take off or days where you aren't doing as much, mm. they are doing it for 12 hours a day because yeah. they contractually don't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. That first paycheck will come, man. Like it'll come for you. It'll come for me. As long as we keep doing this. And as long as you have that requisite level of baseline talent and you don't give up, it'll come. And whether or not you take off on a Saturday and Sunday isn't going to make a difference. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's not in the grand scheme of things because you're going to keep doing the work. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're totally right. And like, that's the thing. It's like, I'm trying to reframe uh, the way I think about, scheduling tasks and stuff and also like you know i don't know how much you've heard of like like deep workflow states and stuff where they say that like you know a three hour deep workflow state with no distractions is more valuable than a 10 hour work day where you're not like in that deep flow state and you're looking at your phone every now and again you're doing this and that so like that's something i'm really interested in too um trying to just build a healthier way of working because i do feel like uh, it's not healthy to work seven days no definitely not but, but this but, is america baby that's what we do capitalism no. yeah. but, but at the same time you know whatever works for you works for you and and to be honest if working or at least doing 30 minutes or an hour of work a day seven days a week if that's what works for you yeah. then that's what works for you and i yeah. you know who am i to sit here and you know, get on my soapbox and say that you're doing anything wrong right and me either yeah because like i haven't gotten paid to do this so who the fuck am i to tell you what the right or wrong yeah. way to approach the, the workflow is yeah we're actually just a couple bums right now <laughs> we've never been paid for this shit like, here's how you're supposed to do it man but no um but that, that's what this podcast is though it's it's uh, I, one of the reasons i started it was a i wanted to meet more people who write and that's been fun for that but um, another reason is, and this was a little bit unexpected, but I learned after like episode three, maybe that this is how people were perceiving it was it's so nice to hear people who are just in the struggle. And it's not like having a guest who is already established and they have this studio deal going on and this and that. And I hadn't, I didn't even consider that. I was just like, oh, it's weird that I have like this network of friends now. Maybe I should like, you know, get to know people on a podcast and like it kind of became this more beautiful thing of like um i love that people look at it like that you know what i think what's up i I think it's relatable yeah 
Yeah. I think it's so relatable. I think that when I hear a pro talk, I want to be that, exactly. but I can't relate to it because I'm not that. But yeah. I can relate to somebody who is talking with agents and just signed with a manager. I yeah. can relate to somebody who's working on, you know, their third spec script and they're trying to figure out where to send it. I can relate to somebody who, you know, has a, a day job and a family and a life and all of these things that, you know, get in the way of, of writing and it's not a job yet. I can relate to that. I think a lot of us can. And to be honest, for me, at least that that's what I feel like a lot of the appeal could be. I'm projecting because that's what it was for me. Yeah, but yeah. maybe it's like that for other people, too. No, it feels that way. And again, it's something that I didn't really expect that now I'm like, oh, man, that's really fucking awesome. I'm glad people feel that way about it. Because uh, I have a blast doing it. But again, like all, what I was really trying to say there is that this is never meant to be like a soapbox thing. We're literally just people trying like you and the other nine guests I've had so far and myself. We're all just people trying it out. These are all just like war stories. Uh, take whatever things you feel are valuable, leave whatever you don't. And that's totally fine. Uh, none of us are proven except there are a couple, there are a couple who have made some money at this that I've interviewed, like David O. Williams and Nabil Chowdhury and BTA, Brian T. Arnold. I think a couple other people too. I don't want to leave anyone out, but. Um, people, great writers. I mean, you've, you've interviewed just a laundry list of unbelievable people top to oh, bottom. I couldn't agree more, man. Like, and these are just people like, I'm just kind of, you know, people that I like have some kind of Twitter friendship with, you know, for like a year or so that I've been on there and just kind of just randomly being like, hey, that's a person I would like to chat with. And just literally it's so unorganized. You know that I hit you up yesterday, <laughs> um, but it's just sending a DM being like, hey, I have a podcast. Would you want to come on? Um, or in your case, I knew that you already knew about it. But um, yeah, it's it, it's it's just been super fun for me. And uh super cool to talk to people who are further along than me, like the Nabil Chowderies. And, you know, me and David were on a weirdly similar timeline of getting reps within seven days of each other. Damn, uh, I saw, I remember that. Yeah. So it's just like, it's really fun. I think uh, Edith Rodriguez got repped two months before us. Yep. Um, and that's her first rep. So um, by the way, is AK your first rep? Yep, absolutely. And okay. it's funny because I've, I've never queried. I've never sent a query email. I've never sent a query letter. Yeah. I've never, I, cause I just focused on the writing. And even when I did get repped, I really just had one script that was done. And then another one that was on a third draft that I haven't even touched since then. And that was it. Yeah. Like I really only had one script and one sample and off of that and off of an early draft of this other thing that he liked, that was enough for him. And since we'd been working together for the one script for such a long time, he knew how I took notes. He, he really liked my process. He really liked how I approached the whole thing. And so it was a weird way of things kind of coming together. But that said, I feel like most of the time, it's a weird way for things coming together for people. It's a perfect storm. It is. I can relate. Um, in 2020, I sent out a slew of queries that were generic it was fill in the name at the top and send the message, no personal connection, no nothing, which I now know is like basically the worst kind of query that you could possibly send. Um, I got no responses. I think I sent out like 50 um, to just random fucking companies, random managers, whatever, just being like, hey, I have a script. Um, and then I stopped trying with queries. I never tried again. And then in 2021, mid 2021, I placed in the nickel. And that's when things took off. So I totally agree. Like, you know, sometimes I see writers who um, 
are early, early in their professional career, um, talking about querying like a lot and trying to figure out how to send the right query letter and things like that. And I think querying is fine, but um, there is something to, if you write like a banger of a fucking script, people are just going to come to you. Uh, yeah. But the trick is that you have to put yourself out there. You have to put out there your work. It can feel self-serving sometimes being like, screenshot of a contest uh you know confirmation letter that i've i'm a quarter finalist semi-finalist uh posting that on twitter and being like hey look what happened it can feel weird and gross uh but it's kind of necessary um to just like i've said this before but like you know you can write the best shit ever but it doesn't matter if no one knows who you are and no one knows what you're working on. Like I said earlier with my managers, not knowing that I do write in other genres. And then they're like, why didn't you tell us, man? Like, you know, this could potentially open up your window of the types of work that we could potentially find you. And I was like, oh, well, I'm an idiot. So I didn't know that. But um, yeah, no, with uh, with queries and shit, like that's all good. But like, just make sure that you're doing the work because that's what matters. And one of the worst things that can happen, I've had a couple people tell horror stories on here with, you know, you query a bunch, you do get your shot with a manager to have a meeting. And then they ask, what else do you got? And you don't have anything Um, that can happen too. Now in your situation, it just goes to show how every situation is different. Um, Sometimes one script is enough. Yeah. I, I had nothing else. I, I didn't, at least nothing yeah. else that was ready to be sent out. Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating to me because he just, he loved this version of this script so much that he said, you know what, this coupled with the fact that I like what you're doing with this other one, yeah. that's enough for me. Yeah. Uh, so of the scripts that you've written, which is your favorite and why? Oh, it's tough because I only have three really to pick from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and all of them I've spent at bare minimum two years <laughs> working on so i'm very very yeah. close to each of them but yeah i'd say probably blood sugar um the first feature that i wrote the one that got me rep the one that got me a lot of my meetings and the one that i'm going to be shooting the short proof of concept version of this weekend <laughs> oh amazing okay i didn't know because i was going to ask what the short was about um so could you give a log line for blood sugar sure so it is an alcoholic doctor must protect her diabetic daughter from hordes of zombies and three meth head sisters in search of a new meth lab Oh my God, that sounds wackadoo and I'm here for it. It's but, yeah, it's, it's very, very different than yeah. the traditional zombie movie because yeah. I don't waste any time on here are the rules of zombies. You get bitten, you turn into a zombie. Mm-hmm. I don't spend five minutes on that. Yeah. It's literally just here are these two factions of people. They both want the same thing for different reasons and they converge mm-hmm. to the midpoint and then shit just goes fucking bananas oh my god i love it and uh how long like wh- what is the proof of concept script length like how long of a short do you think this is going to be eight pages no yeah, dialogue nice. zero words it's like nice. it's like a quiet place and panic room with zombies that's a pretty rad pitch <laughs> uh dude that's amazing um and when did you initially finish that script the feature probably about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, I finished that one. So it's been working on a few other ones ever since then. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Um, well, that's exciting, man. I, I hope the shoot goes well. I'm sure I it do. will. <laughs> I hope so. Cause it, there's been, I've been working on this short for about four years at this point. Cause I worked on the short before I worked on the feature. Oh, okay. 
So it's been, it's been about four years in the making. This short has gone through, oh my God, I'm not even being hyperbolic when I say almost a hundred drafts between when I started it and now. And yeah. it's, it's very different from the feature because it, it has to be, and it's a lot smaller. The meth yeah. head sisters aren't a thing. There's another character that's also not a thing. It's it, very, very scaled down. It's very, very small <laughs> compared yeah. to- it, It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to make a, a short film that represents everything. Well, the you shouldn't try to make a short film that represents everything the feature could be because it's going to be way too convoluted. I wanted it to stand and I wanted it to be able to stand on its own away from being a proof of concept as well. And so I feel like it does a good job of letting people know what the heart of the feature is, which is yeah. a mother trying to care for her diabetic daughter in the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it is just teeing up the tone. Yeah. Um, totally. Awesome. That's cool. So what's a recent comp accomplishment that you're proud of? It could be screenwriting related, but it doesn't have to be. What's something lately that you've been kind of pat yourself on the back? Um, ask me that again on Monday when we wrap from this short. I should. Let's <laughs> let's pretend. Let's fast forward to Monday. What was the thing that happened on set this weekend, this last weekend, that you're most proud of going well? Uh, it's probably going to be the team, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, this is the first time I'm working on and putting a crew together with people who aren't just a bunch of WVU students running around who want to make movies. Mm, this interesting. Is, these are these are professionals who do this shit for a living, and I am beyond fortunate to be able to call them teammates. Um, so I'd say everything when things go well, it's going to be because of them. Yeah. Just full stop. Yeah. Um, did you crowdfund? Oh yeah, yeah. We we had yeah. to. Uh, yeah. So we our budget is about twelve thousand five hundred, mm -hmm. and that is enough to get us through production, and that's it. So <laughs> hey, on your own for post. Yeah. So, and, and you know what, it, it is what it is. And just yeah. like I found ways to get this short to where it is right now, I'm going to find ways to figure out how to finish it whenever we have it in the can. Yeah, no, totally, man. Uh, yeah. I was just wondering, that's actually my next film that I make is going to be my first one where it's not just a bunch of my film student friends and I'm going to try to pay a crew and we're going to crowdfund for that. And so I was just interested and uh, that's awesome, man. I feel like we're on a similar trajectory there of uh, taking that next step. I agree. I would just say you're probably a little bit ahead of me with the writing because I think you've got more scripts and you've also, man, two scripts that places us in the nickel. I just, I can't get over how insane of an accomplishment that is and how much that has to speak to you as a writer. I just, I cannot wait to read those scripts and I really want to read those scripts if I'm allowed to. Yeah, no, we're going to do a swap for sure. But no, thank you very much, man. Uh, it was as much a shock to me as it is to you <laughs> uh, when I opened those emails and I was like, oh, they both. Well, here's here's the funny thing, too, is in 2020, I submitted Bellyache and Suplex to the nickel. Neither made the quarterfinals. I kind of touched up on them over the next year, threw them in again, and they both went kind of far. So it's just hilarious like that. You know, you just never know. Yeah, um, but no, I super appreciate that. That's very kind. And your short and the feature both sound super dope. Uh, I hope that it goes well. So Sam, to sign off, what are a few words of advice that you would give to your fellow screenwriters out there, especially those just getting started? Practice vulnerability in your everyday day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. That is the single biggest thing that I think you can do as a person and as a writer, because those two things go hand in hand. The more empathetic you are, the more transparent you are with your feelings and emotions and why you feel them and where those things start, you know, where they come from, you can translate that into your work. And I think that that's where the authenticity blooms from. Yes. Wow. What a succinct way of putting it. I would have rambled for another 25 minutes. That was amazing. I, I, I could have. It, yeah. it took a lot of strain for me to stop it right there. But No, I that could've. was like 
the perfect amount because that's the thing isn't it you say your good point in the first like couple sentences as a rambler and then you just keep talking for some reason like you say I, the same thing and it, like you're you're repackaging the same present so that by the time it's all said and done you're looking at a christmas tree with 30 gifts in yeah. different wraps and they're yeah. all the same damn Dude, present that is literally my entire style of socializing is just like i find a point i say one decent thing about it and then i repurpose that point like 11 different ways it's pretty sad. And now that you guys know that, you can listen for it and you're definitely going to hear it. Um, I feel like I'm just going to be like socially picked apart on this uh, podcast. But uh, OK, cool, man. Uh, that was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun and it's been a very welcome distraction from all the prep work. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad because I felt like I was just going to be a burden. But uh, Sam Thompson, thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Well, there it is, y'all. Episode 10 is in the books. That was Sam Thompson, writer, director, producer, I believe as well. He he wears a few hats and um and we love him for it. Uh no, that was a really fun conversation. Uh it's really awesome all the things that Sam is doing out there. He's got like 13 short films, which is like amazing. Um, you know, the feature is going to be just around the corner for him. Uh, I want to thank him for coming on. want to thank you guys for listening. Um, if you liked what you heard and you want to donate to the show, you can do that. Uh, I explained it in the beginning, but I'll throw it in again. It's, you can do that at the link tree link in our social media at social writer pod on Twitter, or Instagram. There's a link that says donate and it's like a PayPal thing. It's totally legit. Uh, not trying to scam anyone. Uh, also, if you liked something you heard and want to talk about it on Twitter, please do. Um, you can tag us at social writer pod. You can tag me at Andy Compton underscore, and I will chime in and say something. Uh, tell me what you liked. Tell me what you didn't like. Tell me something I said that's really stupid. Uh, tell me why you don't like me. Tell me why I won't amount to anything in life ever. Uh, feel free to just voice your opinion. Um, if you want to say something nice though, that's like probably the better thing because I won't cry, but yeah, we will catch you next time. Uh, I think the guest I originally had lined up for episode 10 will be able to do episode 11. So that'll be cool. I'm going to keep it a mystery because that's what I do. I don't even know if it like does anything. I'm just corny. Uh, thank you guys so much. I will see you next time. Uh, bye bye. The social screen. Podcast.